Well, good morning again. Uh, one thing you'll learn about me is I love a good question. I love questions. And early uh, when I got into ministry, my pastor said to me, Andy, if you want really good answers or you want better answers, learn to ask better questions. And I think that's really true. There's something about a good question that can help you work through a problem or think through a situation. A good question can kind of sit with you. A really good question can redirect you. And a great question can actually change you. So I'm going to give you a few examples. Here's a good question to think about. Who are the five people that you spend the most time with? Because you are the average of those five people. Uh, we would say around here, the people in your life shape your life. Uh, what happens is these five people, you, you begin to take on their values. At times, you can start to sound like them because you'll say the same things they do. You might pick up some of their mannerisms. In other words, the five people you spend the most time with has the most influence on you. So that's a pretty good question to kind of sit with. Here's a really good question to ask yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, you've invited them in as your Lord and Savior, the question then isn't if you're following Jesus. The question is, how closely are you following Jesus? Because our proximity to Jesus will define our life and our leadership. That's a pretty good question. That's a really good question. Here's another one. Do we imagine or dream about new tomorrows, or do we spend a lot more of our time thinking about the past? That's a really good question. Here's what I would call a great question, and I feel confident because Jesus actually asked it first. Jesus said this to his disciples. This was a question he asked them. Who do you say that I am? So who would you say Jesus is? Like, really? If Jesus was here, you were having a cup of coffee with him, and he said, who do you say that I am? How would you answer that question? What would you say? And then would your life reflect those answers? Well, today we're going to head to the book, a book in the Bible called Malachi, where we're going to see this kind of Q&A session happening between God's people and God. It comes at a time when Israel's, they're, they're experiencing freedom from slavery, but they still find themselves in some sort of slavery. They're so influenced by the culture that they, they've kind of lost their way. They're not following Jesus, they're not following God in the way that they, they want to or are designed to. And so, again, we see God use a prophet which is just somebody that reveals or, or talks about God's truth, to redirect, or we might say in this, this series, recalibrate their life. God is going to use this, this prophet as a compass to, re, to point them back to their true north. And before we jump into the, the Bible this morning, we look at this story, let's invite God, the Holy Spirit, our compass, to direct our thoughts this morning. Will you pray with me? God, just thanks. Thanks for the testimonies we've already heard, the things that you're doing in your church here. But God, more importantly, right now, we ask that you'd come right now by the power of your Holy, Holy Spirit. You'd redirect us to the true north of you. Help us to take in everything that you have for us in all parts of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. If I haven't officially introduced myself, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time online or in person, we are wrapping up our short two-week series, Recalibrate. And again, we're headed to this book uh, called Malachi in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please grab one in the back. They're absolutely free. Grab one of those journals. Uh, even if you don't have one now, you can grab one now. It's a great place to take notes in there. Allie, who was just up here, she was part of the design team for that. Uh, so we're so thankful for her work in that. And there's also a compass back there if you didn't grab one last week. So you can get all that stuff in the back. Honestly, you can get up right now. We want to make sure that you have everything that you have to get the most out of this this morning. 
Um, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit as it relates to that compass, as our compass, and the Bible being our map. And it makes a whole lot more sense if you hear last week and if you missed last week, go back and watch. But God's Spirit helps us read and reveal truth of Scripture as we're on the path to following Jesus. Malachi is just another short book. It's just a few chapters long, but it is packed with things that we can learn about God and his character. Malachi simply means messenger, which is exactly what this prophet is, a messenger from God to speak to God's people about his truth. And as I alluded to, this is written in a a dialogue type of form. God's going to make an an accusation, and the people are going to be like, what? They're going to respond with a question. Like, how, how could that... How could you say that, God? What do you mean by that? How could that be true of us? And then God's going to answer it, and then he's going to be like, well, this is how. And then he's going to say, by the way, I also have this against you. And they're going to be like, what? How could that be true? And we're going to see this dialogue back and forth, back and forth. In this book, you're going to see about seven questions in there. We're not going to have time to go through every question, so I challenge you this week in your own quiet time, in your own personal study, to sit with those questions or take those questions to God and ask him how he might answer those as it relates to you specifically or maybe your family. So with all of that in mind, let's jump in and see what the first question is, starting with Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. It says, A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes. And say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. So God answers their question of how he's loved them by reminding them of their history and the promises that he's had. They they would have known the history. They'd have grown up learning about all of this. They might have experienced some of the provisions that God has provided in the past or certainly heard about those things. They would understand. They would know God's promises. But in times of trouble, when things aren't going well, It is really easy to forget all that God has done and only focus on what we think God isn't doing in the moment. And this is their current struggle. And if we're honest, I could even say this with my own life, it's easy for me to fall into this same trap. God, where are you? Why aren't you doing the things that I think you should be doing? Let's look at the next answer, question and answer. It says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. God says, if I am a father, where's honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt in your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animal, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will, not accept no, I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. 
But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and the food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name will be feared among the nations. So God replies by saying, you're not giving me respect of a father, you're not giving me the honor of a master, and they ask, how have we done this? How have we shown contempt in your name? And God says, by offering these defiled foods on my altar. You offer blind and lame sacrifices. Is that not wrong? Try giving those to your governor. See how that goes, basically. Like, he's not going to accept those. Why should I? They've become really lackadaisical in their faith and the things that they're doing. They brought these blind and lame sacrifices, and, which they would not dare to give to their governor. Now, for us, luckily, we don't have to bring sacrificial animals to, to God, but it isn't, even then, it wasn't about the perfection of the animal. It was about their best. It was about bringing God their best and their first of their flock. And this principle still rings true for us. Even though the form of worship has changed since Malachi's day, worship of the holy, sovereign God must never be treated as profane, worthless, or drudgery. The wrestle here is not about God needing a perfect animal, but about what their and our unwillingness is to give our best. They kept bringing offerings, but not offerings that really require a real sacrifice. They didn't really have to trust God with their sacrifice. And when we give our best, we're saying, God, I trust you more than what I can provide on my own. I trust that you're a good father. I trust that you're faithful to your promise. I trust that you will take my best offering and do something miraculous with it. I trust that you can provide even better for my life than I can provide on my own. Right? That's what we're saying. We're to to put our hearts into our worship. We're to come honestly and authentically before God. Not in an attempt to deceive people or make people think we're more spiritual than we really are. It's really about being authentic in our own life. We also need to prepare ourselves for worship by asking God to help us. That's what the helper, the Holy Spirit's all about. To give so that we can give our best and we can give it to him first. The best of our time, the best of our talent, the best of our spiritual gifts, the best of our possessions and our finances. It's about our posture. It's about our willingness. It's about our desire to want God more than anything else. And this is such a hard thing to pursue in the culture that we live in, with so many things vying for our attention. I mean, you have sports to contend with, those we watch, those we play, those our kids play. We have personal goals, right? We have timelines to meet. We have financial responsibilities and so many other things to contend with as it relates to our time, as opposed to coming together and worship uh, as a church family. Most of those things that we choose on a regular basis over worshiping God on a weekly basis do not have the same lasting impact of consistent worship of our Heavenly Father. And I'm not talking about one-offs. I'm not talking about vacations or a few trips here and there. I'm talking about that thing, whatever it is, that consistently interferes with and impacts our regular worship. The thing that detours us, the, the thing that moves the needle from true north to our north, the things that we want, our own desires, our own wants, or even the pressures of what culture demands. 
this could be an area that God may say in our lives today, you have shown contempt for my name. The next question is found in chapter 2. It says, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by, unfa- by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord. The Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tenants of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with, pleasing, with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful. This section of scripture is one, if not the most powerful presentations of the effects of a violation of marriage. And I use that word violation purposely because the design of marriage is certainly to honor God with your relationship, to put God first. He should be the center of our marriage. To raise children to know and love God in a home that uh, produces that kind of fruit. To continue to spread the, the love of God, not just to your children, but to, to others. And when a couple either does not have God as a sinner or has drifted from it or doesn't have it at all, then it's really easy for those relationships not only just to drift, but to get pulled into whatever culture says about relationships and marriage. Two times we read, be on guard, be on guard. And as couples, we need to constantly be on guard against the enemy, which is real, that wants to tear Christ-centered marriages apart. The enemy knows that a healthy, godly-centered marriage is a perfect combination to raise a family or to impact those five people or influence our community for people to come to know Jesus. And he will do everything he can to break that up. If you're in a marriage that has drifted or maybe is under attacked or maybe has never had Christ at the center, we want to rally around you. We want to help you navigate how to to recalibrate your own marriage towards Jesus and put you back on the right track. Maybe you're single. This warning is still for you to be on guard. Be on guard against what culture says about relationships and what what marriage is. Be on guard and, and truly seek what the Bible has to say about healthy relationships. If you're dating, be on guard. Make sure this relationship has Christ at the center. For the sake of time, we're only going to cover two more. The next one's found in chapter 3. It says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from, from my decrees, and you have not kept them. God says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. 
You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is really God's call for people to to test his faithfulness, his promises. It's called to live by faith, to give God first what's due to him, trusting in God uh, that he's going to take care and provide for us. We live this out and express our faith by being faithful in our stewardship as well as our expectations and expressions of, of loyalty, trusting that God will provide for all of our needs, spiritually as well as materially. If we refuse to show loyalty and faithfulness to God and the stewardship of our time, of our talents, and our income in gratitude, then God may very well prevent his greatest blessing from being given to us. And we must be careful not to treat stewardship as an investment for a sure return. Like we said a little bit last week, it's not an if-then mathematical equation. It's about our heart and our love for God. It's about our posture We give out of our gratitude, not because of obligation, not because of guilt. I mean, we've already heard from Shauna this morning and her experience when she decided to start trusting and start tithing. And there are countless stories that I've had with many of you sitting in this room that have very similar stories. This isn't about us getting your money, by the way. It's about putting God first and trusting God with your finances. Shonda's mentioned it. I mentioned it last week that we have a, a tithe challenge. Tithe for 90 days. And at the end of 90 days, you wish you hadn't, we will give you your money back. That wasn't a joke. We truly will. And I'll say this. If you don't trust us with your finances, then tithe to another church. Find another great church. We can point you into some great churches to, to tithe to. Do the practice. Now, if you don't trust us, I'd love to know why. But do the practice. Don't use us as the excuse. A tithe is 10%. It's the first 10%. It's giving God first before taxes. It's before payments. An interesting fact, if you do some research, when this was written in Malachi's day, they would have given between 20 and 30% of everything that they had. And when you take into account special, uh, special offerings or festivals or those types of things, it's over 40%. So imagine if we lived in those kind of days. But God says, test me in this. In other words, give it a shot. As Shana said, what do you have to lose? Because at 90 days, we literally will write the the check right back to you. And if you want to take that challenge, simply write tithe challenge on your Connect card, drop it in the offering in a little bit. We'll follow up with you on the steps on how to set that up. Okay, last question we're going to look at together this morning is found at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. It says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On that day, when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will stubble. 
and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I, when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb and for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. It's commonplace to think that criticizing and complaining to, to, to God is wrong. When we do it, it's often because we just don't understand what God's doing. We don't understand his ways. We're a little frustrated with his timing. But as we mature in our faith, we learn that God does have a plan, that we can trust his plan. He does know what he's doing. He knows when and how it's going to be done. And this doesn't mean as followers of Jesus that we don't, we don't cry out to God, but it is a great reminder that when we do, we should turn those into prayers, not criticism. God, God has his reasons for not destroying the wicked and the wickedness right here and right now, even when we can't understand why. And we're called to trust and accept that his ways and his timing are better. As followers of Jesus, we're called to do the work of a prophet, which is simply speaking God's truth. It's proclaiming God's love for everyone. As a disciple, or as we'd say, as one of God's kids, we're called to point people to true north, which for us here at Blue Ash Community Church is Jesus. And when we do that, that leads to repentance and acceptance. This is something I'm learning to grow in every day. I'm learning to come before God to repent where I've not put him first in my life, repent where I have sinned, where I've hurt people, repent how I've mishandled a situation, where I've complained and criticized. It's through repentance where healing truly begins to happen. Redirection and recalibration happens in our life. This is where God starts to guide and starts to provide. It's through the repentance that we learn to lean more on God's ways and less on our own ways. So as we close this morning, I want to challenge us to ask God to meet us right where we are, to recalibrate our lives to glorify him. And for each of us, that may require something different for that to happen, right? For some of us, it starts with trusting and accepting God's love and his plan, trusting in him. Maybe it's remembering where he's brought you from, how he's navigated in your life and through, through trying times in your life. Maybe for others, it's recalibrating your worship and making that a priority. If you find yourself being influenced to miss weekly worship because of personal goals, uh, stresses, youth sports, athletics, entertainment on a regular basis, then today could be the day you repent of that. You ask for forgiveness. You, re you recalibrate and decide weekly worship is more important. Putting God first is more important. And I say weekly worship purposefully because it's the one day that's designed for you to come and receive God's word, engage in prayer and praise, where you can give of your time, of your talent, and your gifts. The, the reality is for a lot of us, if we aren't here on a Sunday morning, we don't recreate this time to worship God in an environment that's designed the best we know how to be distraction-free as possible so that you can receive everything that God has for you. Not only that, if you're here with friends, 
If you're here with your spouse, if you're here with your kids, that's even more difficult to recreate, right? Maybe for others of you, it's re recalibrating your marriage to center around Jesus first. Maybe it's seeking help to pursue Jesus as a couple. Still others, it's taking the tithe challenge and putting God first in your finances. It's trusting that God can be trusted. Or maybe it's turning our complaining and our frustrations into prayers. It's seeking God's wisdom, asking for him to provide contentment and trusting his ways are better than our ways. Whatever it is this morning, my prayer truly is that you identify where you want God to recalibrate your life to make him the true, true north. And I want to give us time to do that this morning. So grab your Connect cards that Allie talked about. We're going to be taking up our offering in just a few minutes. We'll receive that, and you can drop your Connect cards in that bucket as well. I'm going to offer you some next steps, and we're going to talk about those things. So maybe your first next step is accept Christ for the first time. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your true north. And you ask him to come into your life to, to change you from the inside out. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit starts to, to read Scripture different. You, start to begin, you begin to see things differently. You begin to hear things differently. And if you've made that decision, mark that on your Connect card that you've decided to follow Jesus for the first time. Drop it in the offering. We want to follow up with you. We want to celebrate that decision, but you're not meant to do that alone. So next week, we'll be talking about small groups. Get into a community. Make sure you grab some resources back there. The second is our, our memory verse which if you missed that last week, you can grab that. We're going to do a memory verse per quarter. Spend some time with this. Meditate on this. Read until God like, reveals or challenges you, and then just stop there, right? And just sit with, God, what do you want me to learn? But the more we, we're into the word, the more the word gets into us. And the third one is our application. Identify where you want Jesus to recalibrate your life and take that next step heading in that direction, true north of Jesus. Again, some of us, that's accepting God's love. Some of us is just remembering as God answered that first question, where he's brought you from, how he's navigated in your life through really hard, difficult times, where he's shown up, even if you feel like he's not showing up now. It's just remembering that he is trustworthy, receiving his mercy and his grace. Again, for some of us, it's making weekly worship a priority. I promise you the next six weeks, extremely impactful on your faith. As we walk through this book, and it's full of scriptures, full of truth, not just a book, right? It's anchored in God's love. It's anchored in spiritual practices. I promise you, you'll, the fruit that you'll have over the next six weeks is going to be well worth the investment of time. But maybe it's making that a weekly worship a priority in your life, which means saying no to some great things for something greater. For some of us, it's making Jesus the center of your marriage. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've drifted from that. Maybe it feels weird and awkward. That's why we're here. We have some great resources not only available, but some great things coming up. We, we can help you navigate that. We can sit down with you, see what your challenges are, and we're not experts in marriage counseling, but we'll help in whatever way that that needs to help to make sure Jesus is the true center of your marriage. Others, again, it's taking that tithe challenge, as Shonda said, just, just step out in faith, do the practice, make the decision, and see what happens. 
sure she'd be happy to talk to you about more of her story and other people here as well. So if that's you, write that on your Connect card. And then others is turning our complaining and frustration into prayers. What is that in your life where you find yourself complaining, where you're frustrated that God isn't doing what you think he should be doing? God's timing is perfect. Somebody said it this way to me once, and I truly believe it's just enough, just in time. God's never late and he's never early. What are those things? Write down the specific thing on your Connect card. Come up and receive prayer for those things from the prayer teams, which is our last next step. You can do that a lot of ways. Write your prayer request on your Connect card. You come and receive prayer, which I think is the most impactful way. So our prayer teams up here on my right or back on the left, or you can email us at prayer at blueaxcc.com. We're going to receive our offering. If you don't mind dropping your Connect card and grabbing your communion elements that you'd received when you walked in. This is just another practice that we do. And this is, anytime you do something on a routine basis, specifically weekly here, we can get just lost in the routine of doing it and miss the impact of what it means that Jesus' body was truly broken, his blood was truly shed. And that it's just a reminder of what he sacrificed for us so that we can have this open, free conversation relationship with our Lord and Savior. But it's also a reminder that Christ lives in us. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. That, that compass of the Spirit is real. Let me pray. God, thanks. Thanks for Malachi and the, just the truth teller, the messenger that he is. And so, God, uh, as we repent and, and seek your forgiveness and ask for your direction, we say thank you. Thank you that you're not a scornful God that is shaming us or guilting us, but you, when we come to you in this posture, you're so excited to, to provide direction, to provide life, to provide healing. That God, we get to walk in freedom in that. God, thanks for that. Help us to, to do that more. Help us to recognize the Father that you truly are you're always happy to hear from your kids. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be free to sit or stand and receive prayer.